see Randy back with us today. Oh, he's had a hard time with a, his recovery and surgery. Glad you're able to be with us, Randy. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate that. Just some things I've observed in life that seems like there's folks that get away with things that they shouldn't do. Sometimes they just think they can get away with it. Sometimes it seems like they actually do, and we kind of wonder why that is. I think uh, maybe a part of that. Uh, I see this sometimes in life that we, uh, as parents, um, we tell our children, "No, no, no, don't do this. If you do that, if you do that again, you know, then the punishment will come. Whatever your mode of punishment might be, it might be time out, or you might have a privilege taken away. It might be a spanking. You do that again next time, and that next time goes on and on and on, and it never happens." And, you know, after a while, they're going to learn, okay, well, I'm going to give us a good scolding. You know, the same thing happens with teachers at school. We do the same thing, too. We shouldn't. I've caught myself doing that next time, next time. But we don't. And so we get away with it again. And then even as adults in our legal system, we, we find that there are times, you know, uh, someone stands before the judge and you know, uh, there could be some jail time there, but the judge says, no, uh, we're going to do something else. And, and they make the sentence light. A whole lot of that has to do with uh, our jails are, you know, they get overpopulated. I hear that on the news every so often. Need more room, need more beds. Well, then well, where's the judge going to put them? And so they feel like they've got away with something. And so I think we, we've kind of got through this life where we, we feel like that there's not really any consequences to the things that, that we've done. And, and that carries over, I think, a bit with our spiritual life. We've been studying uh, for uh, a little bit over a year this wonderful curriculum and going all the way back to the book of Genesis. And we've studied all these uh, wonderful stories and we're learning about the nature of God. And I'd like to go back and revisit some of those stories that we have studied this morning. You know, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we find that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And we can go back and learn that when God tells us something, He means it. God means what He says. Well, let's look at a few examples. We go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. This is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam and Eve had the freedom to eat of every tree in the garden except one. The Bible doesn't tell us how many trees were out there. Uh, I'm sure there were plenty. I mean, they could go and eat in abundance of all the fruit that was out there. There was, they would never find themselves lacking for it. But he did tell them one thing. There's this one tree. It's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Do not eat from that one tree. And he did put 
uh, a consequence with that. If you do, you will surely die. And God was very plain about that. But in this story, we have our introduction to the devil, don't we? He comes in the form of the serpent. He first comes to Eve. And, and you know, uh, his message was this. Well, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because if you do, you're going to be smart as he is. Well, it is the tree of knowledge and good and evil, but no, it's not going to make them have that knowledge and wisdom that God has, but it was going to give them that knowledge of good and evil, which it certainly did. And so we know that they partook of the tree, and no, they didn't fall dead instantly, did they? But what we understand from this scripture is that death was introduced to this world because they failed to follow the instructions of God. And so as time went on, we find that there was a day that they passed from this life. They died. God said, do not eat of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you will surely die. God said that, and he meant what he said. And that's what took place that day. We've studied some good lessons from uh, about Moses. And, and one of those lessons is found in, in Exodus chapter 17. And this was a time when the children of Israel were complaining. Uh, they, they didn't have water. They were thirsty. They, they wanted water. And so their cries went to Moses, and Moses cried to God. In Exodus 17 verse 6, God said, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And on that day, we find that Moses went, he took his rod, he struck, uh, struck the rock, and from that rock came plenty of water, enough water to uh, take care of the thirst of all the people that was with him, with all the livestock. Every being that, that needed water got their water and plenty to spare. And so that was taken care of. But there was a later time as they were wandering in the wilderness that same situation came up again. In another place, they find themselves thirsty. They didn't have water. And and so they complained once again to Moses. And this time in Numbers chapter 20 verse 8, God said, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. And we know that this time, that instead of speaking to the rock, what Moses did was what he did the first time. He struck the rock. In fact, he struck it twice. I don't know if, if it's a, a situation like we get ourselves into sometimes where we're just not listening careful enough. Or just Moses thought he knew better. But he did not follow the instructions of God. God said, speak, yet he struck the rock. God did not say that there would be a punishment if he failed to obey, but there was a punishment. We find that Moses was not able to go into the promised land, and that was told in verse 12 of that chapter. Moses had been a great leader. God had chosen him. He chose him uh, as he stood before him in the burning bush, and I'm sure that actually he chose him when his mother put him out there in that basket 
and put them out there in that river that day. God had chosen Moses. Moses was a man that was to lead the people. He had uh, the strength to go and stand before Pharaoh. He had the strength to, to lead this multitude of people out of the slavery of Egypt, across through the wilderness, up unto going into the promised land. But because of this, he was unable to go into the promised land. God said, speak to the rock, Moses. And God meant what he said. We studied the message of Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2 says that then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put, uh, put incense on it, and offered a profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You know, we've heard this story many times, I'm sure. But here's something I think you ought to think about. Maybe you want to do this sometime this week. Maybe even this afternoon. Go back and read the first nine chapters of the book of Leviticus. You know what you're going to find there? That for the most part, God gets very meticulous in details of how to do a sacrifice. There were different kinds of sacrifices. There were different reasons to sacrifice. And with each of these, you, you go at a certain time, and, and you got to take care of it in a certain way. And, of course, the priests were the ones that were to perform the sacrifice. There were Levites that were involved that would, would come and, and bring the wood and, and do uh, certain functions along the way. Everyone had a job to do. And so these meticulous details were given to them that when you sacrifice, these are the things that you should do. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. If Nadab was the oldest son, then he would be next in line to be the high priest. But yet they were priests, and they had priestly duties that they uh, were to perform. And you know, these guys should have been on the front row when they had the training session of how you do a sacrifice. You know what I'm saying with that? These are the ones that are going to be performing the sacrifices. And so as I'm giving you this information, this, these are the details of the sacrifices. This is how you do it. These are the men that really needed to know and get that. Because I tell you, I have studied about that uh, in, in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. As you go through the whole law, there's a, there's a lot to it. And when you read about the sacrifices, there's a lot of things to remember. And I'm thankful I don't have to remember all those things. We don't have to do those things today. But they were supposed to be men that would know this and understand what to do. But we get to chapter 10. And for whatever reason, we find that Nadab and Abihu chose to put this incense into the sacrifice. They made it a profane fire before the Lord. It was something that God had not told them to do. And God meant what He said. I want you to sacrifice this way. And the consequence was this fire comes out. And it consumes them. And they lost their lives because of this. God meant what He said. Last Sunday morning, or last week, I should say, 
particularly Sunday morning, we studied the lesson of Samuel sending Saul to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 3, Samuel said to Saul, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, cattle and donkey. This is what you're supposed to do, Saul. And then we find out that that Saul takes his army and they go and they battle. But when they come back, they come back with some livestock. And they come back bringing the king as prisoner. Now they killed all the other people, but of the best of the herds and flocks they brought back. And as Saul approaches Samuel, we find that Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, the sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. As we studied this last week, I, I just found this a, a bit odd in a sense that Saul had the uh, audacity to come back and say, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Had he done that? No. He didn't do what he was told. God said utterly destroy. And he went into detail. I want every human, male, female, adult, child. Every breathing thing, everything from the livestock, their lives are to be taken. And we may not even understand why God would, would have him to do that, but that's what God told him to do. And then he comes back, and you can hear the sheep bleeding, you can hear the oxen. Samuel heard it. Well, if you said you've done this, why am I hearing all this? Oh, well, we got a good reason. Uh, we brought them back for sacrifice. <clears throat> Don't we get some of that today? Isn't that some, some of the excuses? Well, I, if someone is told to do something, but they don't do it exactly the right way, and they come back and, and they say, well, I did it this way because. And they, they feel like they got some good reason for it. But they didn't understand the total plan. And so they fall short. In a few weeks, we're going to study this lesson from 2 Samuel, chapter 6. This was in a, uh, the days that David became king. And the ark of God had been taken from them and they were returning the ark of God back to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 6, verse 6 says this, And when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, the law of Moses says, Do not touch any holy thing lest you die. 
Now, David actually had violated another law here in that as we talk about that God was very specific about sacrifice, He was very specific about a lot of things that pertained to holiness. And one of them was the matter of transporting the ark of God. When there is a need to transport the ark of God, it was to be done a certain way. That ark had these rings on the side of it. And there were to be poles that were made, and these poles would go through the rings. And there were certain Levites that were supposed to take a hold of the poles and carry the ark in that way. And that's not what they did on that day. Instead, they put the ark on a cart. And it was on its way back. And then we read how Uzzah reached out to steady the ark when the oxen stumbled. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in the same shoes of Uzzah, and on that day I'm walking alongside of that ark as we're coming back, and then right here ahead of me, the oxen stumble. And, and, and I'm looking and I see that ark of God. This is God's ark that, that's about to maybe fall off the cart. It's going to flip over. It's going to tilt. It's going to fall on its side. I'm going to stick my hand out. I don't want it to fall. I'm, I'm going to hold it up and keep it from falling off that cart. That's what I would have done. I'd done the same thing as I'd done. And you know what would happen to me? I'd die. They were not to touch anything that was holy. You do. You die. And that's what happened to Uzzah. He died. And God meant what He said. Don't touch it. And death came upon him. Well, we go to the New Testament. And we see some things that take place here. We, we could go to many scriptures, but I, I just thought I'd choose this one this morning. From 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul tells us that anyone that lives a lifestyle with any of these things that are mentioned, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And I wonder how many today read that and go, well, I know it says that. God, you know, this is in the Bible. I know the Bible says that, but I've heard people talk about God's love and grace, and, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. No, God means what He says. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And when we get into the New Testament and we see scriptures such as this, we need to understand that God is still the same today as He was back then. He means what He says. But you know, it, it shouldn't matter because we, after all, we are in the 21st century, aren't we? We are now living in the 21st century, so it would be alright to do some of these things. And that's the thinking of some people today. 
Times have changed. We're in a new millennium. Well, let me tell you something. Those things were going on back in the first century A.D. And that's why Paul addressed this to the church of Corinth. Those things were going going on in the city of Corinth in that day and time. And the people that were involved in those things were not going to be able to see the kingdom of heaven. They were not going to be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Neither will people today. And if the Lord wills for this earth to stand here another 500 years, and we get to the 26th century, it's still going to be wrong. Just because times change, God doesn't change. God meant what He said, and He still means it today. And it doesn't matter that a large part of our population finds many of these acts that we just read about acceptable. Because there's a lot of people that think nothing of committing fornication today. There are people that are living together, not married today. We know people like that. We know adulterers today. We know those that are maybe even thieves, and they they don't think nothing about stealing from other people. Because there's a large part of our population that, that says, well, I just don't think there's anything wrong with this. But let me tell you something. Even if 95% of our population goes under the opinion that there's nothing wrong with these things, God said it is. And God said that we will not see the kingdom of God if we live according to these things. God meant what He says. It doesn't matter that other religions now say that these things are acceptable. Because again, there are some religions that these things are fine. I was counseling with a couple, oh this was 20 years ago I believe. This is a man and a woman that were living together, not married. They had some interest in spiritual things. and uh, So I said, well, can we talk about some things? And they welcomed me to come and talk to them about this. And so we talked about some things. And one of the things we talked about was the fact that they were not married. You know, according to the Word of God, something's got to give here. We need to have a marriage together or we're going to have to separate to be right with God. Repentance is required here. But they got back with me later and said, well, we're going to start going to this other church because they told us we can go ahead and live like this. There's no problem with it. We can live like this the rest of our lives and God will forgive us and everything will be all right even though we don't change. So it doesn't matter what other religions say. We need to understand what the Scriptures say. It doesn't matter that our society says it's incorrect to speak against these things. Because that's what's happening today, isn't it? Oh, if you speak about some of these things, then we are mean-spirited. Well, then they're calling God mean-spirited because this is God's Word that talks about these things. And all we are is, well, you like the saying is, don't shoot the messenger. I think I'm going to start telling that to people. Don't shoot the messenger. It's God's Word that says that. I'm just just the messenger of that. But it doesn't matter who you are. 
no matter how rich you are or where you're from or how many things in this life you've gotten away with as far as this earth and matters, when it comes to this, God does mean what He says. And we need to understand that we are to follow His Word completely. Well, if I've beaten you up this morning, let me give you some good news. <laughs> the very next verse says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You know, when Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth, that was the situation. These were people that were raised in a pagan society. These were people, according to their idolatry, uh, could do those things. The, the idol gods had no problem with them committing fornication. The idol gods had no problem with them living in adultery. The idol gods had no problem with homosexuality. The idol gods had no problem with covetousness. We can go on down the list. And so they were, they were raised to believe that you can do those things and, and there was no consequence to it. There was no problem to these things. But as they become Christians, now they find out that these are things that are violations against the law of Christ. And we cannot live that kind of life. And so Paul is saying that as once you found those things out, you repent it. You have repented of these things and you've been washed and sanctified and you can be able to inherit that kingdom of God someday. And the same is true with us. You can repent. If we're involved in doing any kind of sin in our life, we just need to repent. Just stop doing it. Change the thing that we're doing. Now, during our next several lessons, we're studying about Saul and we're studying about David. And last week, we studied that lesson about how Saul failed to do what God told him to do. We're going to see that Saul becomes bitter. God did bring some punishment to him because he uh, brought back the livestock, and because he brought back King Agag, the kingdom was taken from him. Now, it wasn't taken right away. It was, it was going to come after his reign was over. But, but that's usually how a kingship works. You, you know, the next line is the son. Your son is not going to be the next king. The kingdom is going to be taken away from you. And that was his punishment. And all that did to Saul was make him more bitter. And he became angry about that. And he just started acting up more and doing other things against the will of God. But today, we studied about David. Samuel went and anointed David to be the next king. And in our adult class, we talked about the matter, how David was a man after God's heart. David had the right heart within him. Oh, yes, he did some things that was not right in the sight of God. We talked about his sin with Bathsheba. He committed that sin, but then it just he agonized over that. 
He knew that he had done wrong. He begged God's forgiveness. He accepted God's punishment. And he cried out to God to give me a clean heart and renew the spirit that's within me. That's what David did. Last Sunday, Sammy brought us a good lesson about the Apostle Paul. Now here's a man that was persecuting Christ. But once he realized that he was against Christ, and it was wrong to be against Christ, and he had that meeting with Jesus on that road to Damascus, he went on into the city, and Ananias was the one that... Uh, was, that gave him words and told him what he needed to do to be saved. And we heard last week, Acts 22, verse 16. Saul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And such was some of you in Corinth. You were washed. You were sanctified. They had their sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb that they could receive the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful that God has given us an out. He means what He says, but He also means it when He says if we repent and we live our life for Him, if our heart is right with Him, we will have that home in heaven someday. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says that we live in the newness of life. If you're here today and there's something wrong in your life and it needs to be corrected and we can correct it by prayer, we'll be glad to do that this morning to help you on that road to to repent and do what's right. Maybe someone here today, though, that needs to also have their sins washed away. You can have that done through baptism. We'll, we'll help you with that, too. Brother Charlie's going to lead us in our song. Will you please come as we stand and sing?